when you see a guy in Cordray, you kind of like, you know that he speaks proper and that he eats pheasant and shit like that. And so, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've got a written instruction to my mates. If they see me in too much Cordray, they need to take me out of my misery. Mark, hello. How are you? Well, good morning from a sunny, sunny Kierskar, Joburg. I'm fabulous. Thank you. Have you had lots of rain? We have had a little bit down here in the Karoo, but not too much. We need more. We've had more rain than we can cope with. And, um, you know, I'm told the Vaal is going to you know, reach 120%, whatever that means, but it's overflowing spectacular pictures of water, water everywhere. The challenge is whether there are enough drops to drink. <laughs> yeah, we, we flooded out. We flooded out here and in Pumalanga. The roads are being washed away. And my question is, not my worry, my question is, are the bridges going to hold? Are the dam walls going to hold for that matter? So I think we've got tons of water. Let's hope we've got the skill sets and the maintenance to make it work for us, not against us. Okay. So now, because I'm an expert in poetry, I'm just going to yeah. ask my question, which is, why is water, water, but none to drink? One of the most misquoted lines of poetry ever, because actually it's water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. That's the correct version, just so you know. You know, in, in my school, you would be known as a smarty pants and we deal with you at break. <laughs> I'll see you in the courtyard. <laughs> anyway, so that's Samuel Taylor's Coleridge's famous poem about water. And sailors. Well, the thing is, when you have some place that's normally dry, you know, and, not, and, and rainfall is unpredictable and inconsistent, you, you, you're not prepared for it. And, and erosion and all of these kinds of things, uh, you know, you get swept away by floods. You, you can't contain them and control them. So we, we're dealing with that because we are, after all, since you wanted to be the smarty pants, we're the fittiest, thirstiest country in the world. And so... We're not used to this kind of stuff, not without a lot of sun to come with it. Clouds are our new way of life. That's incredible. It is amazing. You forget how large parts of South Africa are very thinly habitated. Yeah. Do you say that? Habitated. Inhabited. Uh, inhabited, correct. Clearly smarty not such pants. a smarty pants. No. Clearly you're the smarty pants and we're going to have to deal with you at break. <laughs> All right, let's move on. The big issue of the week, of course, is the budget. This uh, podcast will be coming out actually on budget day, but we're recording it two days before the budget. So we're full of speculation like everybody else. Obviously, ESCOM load shedding, ESCOM debt is going to be a big issue in, in this budget, Hemo. Yeah, you know, I mean... Uh... One of the things that I was pleasantly surprised about was uh, that Andre Durate the other day on 702 said that they were making an operating profit, which is great news because, you know, you have to separate when you look at the economics model and the financial sustainability of an entity, you have to separate its operating profit from how you choose to fund. Now, we've chosen to fund ESCOM all with debt. Clearly, that's not appropriate because it doesn't have the utility risk profile that you would expect of an electric uh, utility because its debtors aren't paying it, because money has been leaked out of the system in corrupt ways, because the quality of the inputs aren't what they were meant to be. So what was previously a very predictable revenue stream is no longer. And so there are elements of risk in there which have been introduced, which, which beg the question of what the appropriate financial equation might be. Not only the, the correct financial equation, but also the ownership structure. You know, part yeah. of the problem is that governments consistently stood behind ESCOM's debt, which basically means that it's a government institution. 
And you can buy ESCOM bonds, which have been separate for a time, but now essentially you're buying government debt. And that's, I think that's part of the problem here because that's not standing on its own feet. People think of it uh, as, you know, just another government service, whereas it, it isn't, in fact, it should be a, a separate institution. I remember fondly the E-168, the Eskom bond. In fact, it, at one stage traded at a premium to government because, you know, we had such a, a well-functioning, lowest-cost producer as the underlying economic driver of its returns. And so Eskom at one point was able to raise money at a lower cost than the state. Right now, Eskom couldn't raise a penny without the state. So the, the state's no longer standing behind Eskom. It has to stand in front of it. Yeah. And that's when you have to go back to basics and go, what's wrong? You know, never mind finance. What's wrong? And I think some of the things are wrong. We're stuck in the legacy world there. Yeah. Yes. Can I ask you another question in my habit, which is to ask questions that I already know the answer to? Because yeah. I've done a, a long exercise on the budget, which I'm very proud of, and it's probably going to get me into trouble at break again. But the, the I've, got no doubt, I've got no doubt that you're about to share it. So have a go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my question is this. Um, between the year 2008 and the year 2022, how many times did the finance minister suggest that GDP growth was going to be more at budget time than it ended up at the end of the year? So that we're, we're basically talking about 24 years. How many times did the finance minister get it right? Oh, and yes. how many times did the finance minister get it wrong? In other words, how many times did I mean, the finance minister underestimate growth? Now, I'm going, to t- I'm going to take the easy route out here and say all the time. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the answer is that the prediction, the finance minister's prediction of growth has been too optimistic all but four times in those 24 years. I mean, it is incredible. That it shows you how government is misreading the economy, I think. That's one of the things it shows. You know, in some senses... You want to be optimistic, but in another sense, I think you have to present the international financial institutions with a deficit number that's not too much. And the deficit number comes down if your estimate of GDP growth goes up. <laughs> so there's a, there's a big incentive to overestimate GDP growth. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, you, you're, talking to the, the, you know, you're talking to a crowd that you need their votes from. So, I mean, you can't. I mean, imagine the alternative. Imagine if the Minister of Finance turned up and said, listen, we ain't got enough money and everything's going to fall to pieces. Okay. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm afraid that's almost a speech you can't make, however true, however true it, it might be. And if you look at the variables, Tim, today, you know, you talked about GDP growth and stuff. I mean, let's look at the, let's look at the environment. Let's look at the field. The field says GDP growth 0.3%, population growth 1%, inflation 7.2%. You cannot construct an economic equation with a positive net yep. cash flow out of those variables. And then you look at the skewness of the source of revenue, which is, the, sorry, the government doesn't earn money from any other basis other than tax. I think there is no other source of revenue. We've got a skewed tax base, which is, uh, which is uh, portable, let me say that. If, you know, if, we, if we strangle them too much, they're going to go away. And, and, right. and so we've got this conundrum. And, and, and the and this, the solution lies in convincing capital, which has choice, which is predominantly foreign capital, that this is a good investment destination. And for that, we're going to have to up our game. We're going to have to look at new energy definitions, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to have to move away 
from vested interest and legacy mindset. And until we do that, Absolutely. this equation cannot be solved, my friend. Eh? Yep, yep, yep. I mean, you know, there, there was a time when, when all of the pointers were pointing in the right direction. Um, and then all of a sudden, they just started pointing slightly downward. I remember a long time ago, one of my favorite business people and government ministers, Derek Keyes, said, you know, if you have a big problem, what you have to do is you have to lean on it and you have to keep leaning on it. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. You, don't, you don't need to make big inroads, but you need to make consistent inroads. And, you know, I think it works the other way around, too. If you have a big problem and it starts leaning on you, eventually it squashes you. You know, that's just how it works. And you can see it in these okay. numbers, you know, sort of consistent over-optimism about the state of the economy. It talks to a poor understanding of the, the levers involved in running the economy effectively. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not like the estimates are huge. You know, it's not like they were estimating 6% annual GDP, real annual GDP growth for the past five years or so. It's been, you know, 1.3, 1.5, 0.9. These numbers are not ambitious numbers in the first place, and they're still missing them. This is bad. Yeah. You know, the consequence of this is not about numbers. It's about the unintended consequences of a failed central energy system. Okay? Yeah. Which, you know, which takes us into the water debate, takes us into the food security debate. You know, I mean, the number of chickens that are having to be let go, the number of bananas that are going through the number of, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the impact on our export earnings. And again, I'm looking outside the country for solutions, for short-term immediate impact solutions. You know, if we can't get the fresh fruit out of the port in Durban, then we can't sell it and we can't earn the foreign exchange, which is, I mean, agriculture is the second biggest source of foreign exchange and mining is the first. And if we can't get that stuff, we can't get that manganese, you know, on a train down to wherever, then I'm afraid... We've got big gaping holes in the economic equation, which is the source of a balanced budget. And so we have to structurally change the economy for the numbers to have half a chance of being realized. It's going to take some people who are not carrying you know, the baggage of their, of their current and past vested interests. It's going to take different mindsets. It's going to take yep. forward-looking mindsets. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next section, which is uh, I Just Can't. And as a Joburg resident, I'm presuming that you just can't take Cape Town property prices anymore. It's ridiculous. People should be moving to Johannesburg, not moving to Cape Town. Well, you know, I happen to have a little bit of uh, uh, my finger in the pot down there as well. And the prices have become extraordinary. Uh, and, and why? You know, because first of all, you know, if you compare Benoni to, you know, Kirstenbosch, you, you, they've kind of got a kickstart, you know, and they've got the sea and they've got all that sort of fabulous thing. Uh, and, and, and so, you, you know, you start off with natural beauty and a pleasant place to, to sort of be in. But it's unrealistic, you know, on a sort of per square meter basis. I think property, uh, you know, like for like, property in Cape Town is double what it is in Cape Town. Now, the consequence of that, has got to be overcrowding and, you know, they will then start, you know, having issues with maintaining, maintenance of infrastructure and all of those kind of things. The traffic in Cape Town, much worse than Joburg, but I don't know that that's got too much to do with infrastructure as it's got to do with attitude. Those acts are so cool and calm, you know. I mean, hey, man, let's not <laughs> no, drive no. it. Man. Let's slow down, man. 
Check it the flowers, no, no, I mean, man. it is it is like, it is extraordinary. You can actually always tell the lifestyle style of Cape Townians by the Deval Drive traffic jam. Yeah, because you know the Deval Drive. You know, you've got to go around the mountain. Cape Town has this unfortunate situation where it has this sort of jutting geographical outcrop in the middle yeah, of the, the uh, city. Big, big so uh, you've yeah. got no choice. You've got to drive around it. So when you're driving around yeah. it, there's obviously a constriction in the traffic. So now, when you know, I was staying in Cape Town a long time ago. The traffic jam used to start at around about five o'clock on all days except Friday, when it would start at twelve. <laughs> telling us everything we need to know about work habits in Cape Town. But now, you know, the, if you don't get into your car at three o'clock, and if you, you know, if you live live in the suburbs, if you work in town and live in the southern suburbs, you're you're in deep trouble. I mean, it's a, the, the the whole infrastructure of the city it cannot cope with this. Having said all of that, as things stand, they're coping much better than we are. There are less potholes. There's more func- things that function. The mayor seems to have a grip on things better than any of our mayors up here. In our local metros, between Swanee and Johannesburg, we've got a proper mess going. Okay, and so and and there we're focusing on each other, not on the cities. But uh, so you know, but of course, this, these things will swing. The pendulum will swing. It'll be overpriced and overvalued, and that bubble will burst, and so on. What I think, again, we've got to invite them back. They're not coming back. I mean, everyone's leaving. They're not coming. We've got to invite them back. We've got to make our city, Joburg, uh, the place that it was. Do you have traffic jams there in the Karoo? Not so much, eh? Well, no. In fact, they were thinking about putting up a robot in our town, and there was almost a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) The heritage heritage team vetoed it. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, you know, it's a very strange. My, my brother lives in Cape Town and he lives in Claremont or he lived in Claremont and he was just doing nothing on a Sunday morning and somebody knocked on the door. And this very excited estate agent said to him, oh my God, I've just sold the house next door for six million bucks. Do you want to sell your house? And he said, no, I live here. I live. This is my house. And he said, um, <laughs> what? Six minutes? What? How much? Yeah. <laughs> the house was gone. In two weeks, the house was gone. gone. <laughs> gone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, I watched with tears in my eyes the Stormers beat the Blue Bulls over the weekend, 24-19, lucky buggers, um, right. because the Blue Bulls is my team. So uh, they seem to have it all their way at the moment. Let's come on. Let's, let's get some people coming back. I know. You know, the thing is, you have to look at this from both angles, don't you? Because although the, you know, Cape Town has all kinds of infrastructure problems, they also have a rising tax base. So they have more ability to deal with those problems. And that's basically what you want, isn't it? So, you know, in some ways, the infrastructure problems that that Cape Town faces are are the kinds of problems that you want. Yeah, yeah. No one told us to go there. We got invited. It's, It's more attractive. And you know, and you don't have to. It's you can semigrate instead of emigrating, and you take all your economics with you, and 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 there you go. I mean, it's we've got to invite and incentivize, not control and direct. I mean, I think that's the only way out of all of our conundrums in one form or another. But yeah, it's it it is it is better and more beautiful for now. And but this remains the economic power base. If we, I mean, I followed a, I was following a car to work this morning, a Porsche, no, oh. Right, and it was like following a snake weaving between potholes. Okay, because those eggs can't do potholes. Okay, I mean, <laughs> my car, still, yeah, my car can still deal with the odd pothole, but the Porsche <laughs> couldn't do it. Okay, so it was like I had to follow this guy. I didn't have to look because he was weaving and bobbing and weaving between the potholes, 
And I'm talking Hyde Park here, okay? Right. Not Pumpsfontein. And yes. so, yeah, we've got some fighting up to do. All right. Uh, let's move on to our last section, which is dinner skinner, which is things that you're going to be talking about over dinner. Well, you might not be talking about this. Well, maybe you will be talking about this. But, Mark, can I ask you a personal question? How do you feel about corduroy, like corduroy jeans, yeah. pants, or corduroy jackets? See, you, know, you know, I was, I was educated in Makazini, which is not known as the fashion capital of the world. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, we weren't allowed to wear long pants until standard eight. But uh, corduroy uh, was a, you know, I had a jacket when I was at university, which was way back when. Uh, it was the only jacket I had with the corduroy jacket, it was a lacquer thing. And they wear well. But, but corduroy classifies you, doesn't it? You know, I mean, when you see a guy in corduroy, you go like, like, you know, that he speaks proper and that he eats pheasant and shit like that. <laughs> and so, yes, yes, I, yes. Uh, you know, I've got a written instruction to my mates. If they see me in too much corduroy, they need to take me out of my misery. But you tell me. Well, I was, it's just that I came across this really charming story this week, which I thought was just so funny. So apparently the principal of St. Andrew's University, this is in the UK, her name is Dame Sally Mapstone. And she has foibles. She has certain things that she just requires of everybody. And I don't know whether she's popular because of those foibles or unpopular, but one of the things that she declared was that nobody at the university was allowed to wear corduroy. That's my girl. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I love the idea of of somebody having having like a little foible that they, you know, that they just impose on everybody else. And you have to comply because, uh, and I mean, her argument against corduroy was that it sort of reeks of an air of self-satisfaction and... You know, well, aristocracy, uh, you know, out of every thread, aristocracy, you know, those little leather, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah if you've got leather, if you've got le- leather elbows, then supposedly you fit into an academic world. But the other part of the story was one of the things that she also did, another one of her foibles, was that she doesn't like emails that have bullshit in them. You got uh, so she doesn't like emails that start off with the words, I hope you are doing well today, or I hope that you find this useful, or... Um, I'm so on her side. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Anyway, so some Russian hackers try and hack her, or hack the university, and they send out a mail which starts off with the words, I hope this finds you well. So apparently everybody at the university instantly knew that this email did not come from her. <laughs> so it, it didn't so, come from anyone who was hoping to pass the course that year. No. Exactly, exactly. So it just shows you that uh, people who, who have little peccadilloes, you, you shouldn't hold it against them too much. You shouldn't hate them too much. No, I mean, I actually think the secret to relationship success is to like each other's foibles and faults. Yes, no, precisely. All right, Mark, thanks very much. Uh, that's the show. Can I please ask you, if you enjoyed this show, to go onto the podcast device that you use and rate us. It helps people get to know about the podcast. If you like us, of course. If you don't like us, well, then, uh, you know, uh, have don't a good week. Up. Yeah, don't rate us then. Uh, no, but listen, we hope you're having as much fun as we are. And if you tell us that, we'll make some more. Speak to you next week. Cheers. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.